All right. Thanks, guys. Listen, if you've been here with us, you know that we're kind of in the middle of our spoken reality uh, preaching series where we're taking a look at our life and kind of the things that we say about our life that may not really be substantiated by reality. Just because we say it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true, right? We talked about how I've, I've kind of gotten onto our boys where we say, hey, boys, is your room clean? And they go, yeah, yeah, it's totally clean. And it's not, right? Because just because they say it is doesn't mean that it necessarily is. And we've kind of seen that play out through a number of different ways. Just because uh, we, we live in this culture right now that says it doesn't matter what reality is. It only matters about what we say about reality. If I say it, then it's true. And that's really the heart of all of this. I'm a good wife. Well, I mean, are you? Because you're trying really hard to have an affair with somebody you met online. Well, I'm a, I'm a good parent. Well, are you? Because you really don't know what's going on in your kid's life. You don't know what's happening in their world. You don't know the struggles they're facing or maybe even giving them some foundational, good, biblical uh, stances to take. I'm a good Christian. Well, are you? Because the Bible says it's by your fruit you will be known. And there's very little fruit of faith in your life. We continue to say things. and We continue to claim these things. And what we find out is if we say it enough, eventually we'll even begin to believe it, right? We'll even begin to believe that we are all these things and there's none of them that's really fleshed out or lived out in our life. I put Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 as our theme verse for this entire series. It says this, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's saying here, you can't fake this. If you claim it, you better reflect it. We have to stop living in this spoken reality and get back to what's actually being evidenced in our life. What's really most important? What's getting our best? What is our spiritual life really made of? So over the past few weeks, we've looked at a couple of different examples in Scripture. We've looked at uh, the rich young ruler and his struggle uh, because of what he held on to so tightly. We looked last week at Hophni and Phinehas, the two scoundrel priests in 1 Samuel, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in, in the Old Testament. And, and this week we're going to look at something that's a little bit closer to home. It's really kind of a heated moment between two pillars of faith. If you were here last week, I told you I, I wrote a sermon, and I do this every once in a while. I'll write uh, like 80 or 90% of a sermon, and, uh, and God just shuts it down. And, and I have to rewrite everything. And I did that last week. Well, this week God kind of brought me back to what I wrote uh, for last week that I ditched. And, and it feels right and it feels correct. And so we, we're going to come back to this. And I, I think it's really uh, going to hit us on a very deep level. So if you have your Bible, go to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to eventually get to our theme verse. But you've got to kind of see what's happening around it. Galatians 2, unlike Corinthians and Ephesians and Thessalonians and Colossians, Galatians, there's no town called Galatia, okay? Some of you may uh, already know that. There's a region of Galatia. It's the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, four cities, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby make up the Galatian area. And so there's not like uh, Colossae or Philippi. This is kind of a multitude of, it's supposed to be a, a transient letter. Give it to one church, let them read it, and I give it to another church and let them read it. And so what happened is Paul goes to see these people on his missionary journey, right? His first missionary journey goes north and he goes to these Galatian churches and he, he encourages them and he tells them all kinds of really great truths. And then after he leaves, sometime after, uh, some men come, some, some Jewish Christians, okay? So I mean by that they were Jewish 
uh, had converted over into believing Jesus as the Messiah. They come and they begin to teach some things in those churches that was not true. Mainly that you have to be Jewish first. That you just can't come to Christ as a Gentile, as a non-Jew. You have to be converted to Judaism first and then become Christian. And obviously that's not true. It's not the message that Jesus gave us. It's not the message that Paul preached when he was in those areas. And so he writes them this letter and he's, he's kind of correcting some things. These are some of the same, same arguments he had to deal with when he left Antioch. Uh, and this is all played out in uh, Acts chapter 15 of the Jerusalem council, right? And so he's writing them saying, listen, that's not what's happening here. He's defending his apostleship. He's trying to kind of remind them of the gospel of grace that he preached while he was there. It's a really incredible uh, lesson and, and letter. And then he does something in chapter 2 that a lot of people call brave or bold. Some people call it mean or hurtful. But if you read it, I think it's right. I think it's necessary. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, should be on the screen, it says this. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Hang a second. Cephas. Who is Cephas? Without getting into a language lesson, let's do some background information here. Cephas is an Aramaic word. Uh, the official language of the world at this point is Greek. You can all thank Alexander the Great for that. When Alexander the Great came and con conquered almost the whole entire known world, he made the world language Greek. Everybody spoke Greek. Government, literature, commerce was all handled in the Greek language. But the language of the Jews, the language of the Israelites was Aramaic. This is what they spoke on an everyday basis. As a matter of fact, Jesus spoke Aramaic, even though the New Testament, because it's official, was written in Greek. And so Cephas is an Aramaic word. Let's go back. If you have your Bible, it's not on the screen, I don't think. John chapter 1, verse 42. Jesus is speaking, and he looks at somebody and says, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. And most Bibles have in quotations or parentheses at the side, which then is translated Peter. So Cephas is Simon's nickname. Now here's your language lesson. Simon is a Greek name. And here he comes to Jesus and Jesus gives Simon a nickname. Cephas means rock. It's like this is his nickname. Cephas is Aramaic for rock, but rock when transliterated into Greek is a feminine word, Petras, A-S. And so the language experts way back when changed that to Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S, more masculine sounding. Petros, Greek, is Peter in English. And so here comes Simon Peter. And you're going, okay, Matt, why does that matter, right? Why, why does he call him Cephas here and everywhere else in Scripture? Not everywhere. There's a lot of different instances where Paul continues to call Peter Cephas. Why? I think two reasons. One, Paul's reminding the Galatian readers. Remember, they're reading this letter about who Jesus said he was. Jesus gave him this name. 
Remember, we read that he opposed him to his face. So we're going to read what's going on here in just a second. But there's something obviously he's done wrong. So despite his current action, despite his mistake or maybe the hypocrisy that he's living in, he's reminding the reader that Christ has a purpose for his life. It's low-key a form of character protection from Paul to Peter. It's a beautiful picture. It's respect in the middle of correction. And number two, I think for us, it's just a reminder to surround yourself with people who call you what Jesus calls you. Jesus called him Cephas. And we live in a world where people call you all kinds of things. The enemy continues to remind you and try to call you unworthy or unfit or useless or defeated. But that's not what Jesus calls you. Jesus calls you forgiven, whole, a child of God, redeemed, an heir, a temple of the Holy Spirit, a member of the body of Christ, chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, and free. Those are the things Jesus calls you. It's a reminder to us to surround ourselves with people who call us what Jesus calls us. So when Paul comes to Antioch, he meets Peter, the rock. This is the Peter who was with Jesus, who walked on water, who frequently put his foot in his mouth, who cut off the guard's ear, who denied even knowing Jesus, and who after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus reinstates and says, if you love me, feed my sheep. He was the apostle to the Jews, right? That's how he's known through the New Testament. Peter, who proudly, he, he proudly stood up in Acts chapter 2 and preached and basically said, you guys killed him. And we witnessed him, but God raised him from the dead. Peter, who boldly changed from this very sheepish, I'm going to deny Jesus, I'm not going to really stand up for what I know, to this very bold apostle to look at people in the middle of Jerusalem and say, this is your fault. This is the same Peter, who, who the Catholics even say is the very first pope. Paul opposed him to his face. And we sit back and go, Wow. What was Peter doing? Right? What, did, what did Paul come to this with such kind of frustration toward? It says he stood condemned, meaning he did something wrong and he knew it. Let's see what it is. Chapter 2, verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So now we have a little bit of what's going on. Here's the layman version of this. Peter is hanging out and eating with Gentile believers. Gentile, not Jewish, Gentile converts to Christianity and these men from James. Now remember, James at this point is leading the Christian church in Jerusalem. He is kind of the, the spokesman for Jewish converts. He, like Peter, believed that, that Christianity was just going to be an extension of Judaism, that all the Jews are going to recognize that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that the whole Old Testament has led up to this one man. And they just thought, okay, all, all of us, we're going to start following the Messiah now. And so these Jewish-rooted men, if you remember our study through James, James bleeds Jewish, right? He loves it. 
He says, when these men came, Peter kind of pulled back from the Gentiles and separated himself, is the words that Paul uses, because he was afraid of what the circumcision group, the Jewish group, would think of him. This is classic 90s rom-com, right? When I was writing this down, I was thinking, this is, think Freddie Prince Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook. Like, this is the, this is the football jock who, who secretly loves the nerdy girl, but he doesn't want all his friends to know. So when all the popular kids come around, he acts like he doesn't know who she is. Y'all have seen those movies. This is the same thing. And, and Paul is not having it. He says, uh, don't act one way around one group of people and another way around another church this still happens all the time we talk a good talk when we're at church but as soon as we're around our buddies or as soon as we're not around church people then we become a whole different person the way we talk changes the way we the things that we say the jokes that we tell the, the way we speak about other people, the, the language that we use, the overall nature of our character changes when we're around church people and when we're not around church people. It's a spoken reality. And the underlying issue is, okay, who, who are you really? Are you this or are you that? And really it boils down to an integrity issue. right? Integrity is who you are when no one else is watching real talk, we've got a lot of people who are one way inside this room and a completely different person outside of this room. As if you can come in here and do all the right things or say all the right things and never really connect real life and spiritual life together. Verse 13 said, other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray. Hear me when I say this, and, and I think you know this. Sin is never self-isolated. Right? We think, we think, well, it's not a big deal. I can do whatever I want. This is only, this is just me. It's not hurting anybody else. Sin, sin is never self-isolating. It ripples out like throwing a rock in a pond. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect your spouse. It's going to affect your kids. It's going to affect your grandkids. It's going to affect your coworkers. It's going to affect everything around it because that's what sin does. And listen, there's some of the greatest leaders in the church, and they're consistently leading people into sin and disobedience. You guys know the personalities? People who are energetic and full of life, and people are just drawn to them like magnets, and who, if they could really make incredible kingdom impact, and they come, and they're kind of wrapped up in their own spoken reality, and they're living this lie, and they're, they're one way at church, and they're another way outside the church, and they don't even realize that they're dragging other people along in it. And he, listen, even the strong in faith fall victim to it. Paul says that even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas. Barnabas, the first time we're introduced with him in Acts, he sells a field and brings the money to the apostles' feet. Barnabas, who, who the early church sent from Jerusalem to, to validate Paul's conversion and Paul's ministry to make sure he was legit. Barnabas, who went with Paul on his first missionary journey, had an incredible kingdom impact. Barnabas was led astray. He was a leader. He was a faithful servant. He was wise, and he even got caught up 
and what Paul calls Peter's hypocrisy. Let me tell you something, church. If you're a leader, if you have people drawn to you and you always have a crowd around you, then you better watch which way you're leading. Because you're either leading people into deeper relationship with Christ or leading people away from deeper relationship with Christ. So look what Paul does, verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, quote, You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? In the immortal words of Jerry West, you just should write the word boom out to the side of that because he just drops the mic, right? He says, you're a Jew, but you're not living like one, but you're going to put all that on these guys over there. How dare you? It's a strong statement. That's why people go, that's just kind of mean. It's not. But let me just say this. This is Paul speaking in apostolic authority. Right? He has, he has, this is apostolic authority on display. I would never suggest, hear my words, I would never suggest that you walk up to somebody in a crowded room and just air out all their dirty laundry. It says that he says it in front of them all, right? There's a crowd around. Paul's not afraid of anybody and he just walks in and drops bombs. I'm not telling you to do that. Uh, it would, the, the, the social side of me and the moral side of me says, oh, don't ever do that. But at some point, we've got to stop dancing around and adhering to the spoken reality of others. We've got to stop dancing around the issues of people who are not living for the gospel, pretending that they are. And so on one hand, I say, listen, we're not judges. We, we don't know what people are, sometimes are going through. We may not know the circumstance of their life. We shouldn't go in there and just blow their world apart. But on the other hand, when you have relationship with individuals, and you say nothing, at some point your silence is affirmation. And so I think Paul's right. He comes and says, listen, you're a Jew. You're living like a Gentile, and you're placing all these Jewish regulations on the Gentiles, regulations that you yourself know mean nothing. And remember, Peter struggled with understanding the message of Jesus and applying it to Gentile believers. He, he really struggled with that. If you read the book of Acts, then you understand that there's this moment where Peter has a vision. This is Acts chapter 10. Peter has a vision of the sheet coming down from heaven with all the animals on it. Y'all remember this? And, and our favorite verse in all of scripture, God speaks from heaven and says, arise, kill, eat. And we quote that all the time in the South because we like to kill animals and eat them, right? And so he has this vision and, and Peter says, oh, certainly not I, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean a day of my life. And God says this. It's incredible. Don't you call anything I have made unclean. It's powerful. And immediately after this vision, Peter has some people at his house. And they say, hey, listen, we got a guy that wants to come talk to you. Will you come to his house? And his name is Cornelius. He's a Roman guard. He's a Gentile who's interested in the message that Peter is sharing. Well, in Peter's world, it's, it's against Jewish custom to go into the house of a Gentile. They're not allowed to. And now he's been invited. And so Peter has this moment of confliction in his heart. And he's already starting to connect the dots. 
And so Peter goes. And the Bible says that Cornelius and his entire household get saved. It's this incredible moment. Peter goes into the house. He shares the gospel and the good news of Jesus with him. And his whole family gets saved. And Peter knows in that moment, like he knows the message of the cross is for everyone. I can't, he's, he's already connected the dots of the animals and the people. Right? Don't you call anything unclean that I have made. And Peter's going, okay, this is the same situation. It's just with real people. And so the message of the cross is for everybody. Peter knows that. He knows that, that after all of that, he understands that there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. That he's, he's connected these dots in a very deep, central way. The cross is our access to the Father. The cross, not Jewish regulations, not doing all the right things, not circumcision or the law. It's the cross that gets us to God. And so that's what makes his actions here Absurd to Paul. How, how could he go back on what he's already been told? How could he pull away from these Gentile people just because Jews are coming? He knows this is for everybody, but church, can I ask you the same question? How many times have you gone back on something that God's already revealed to you? How many times have we pulled back and God, I don't know if I can, and God's gone, how many times have I been faithful through this? How many times have I walked with you hand in hand through these hard times? You know that I'm here. You know that I'm good. You know that I'm right. Too often we pull back, just like Peter did. Keep reading verse 15. Paul still, in quotes, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith and Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because of the works of the law, no one will be justified. He's saying we, we who are Jews, me and you, Peter, us, we know that we're not relying on the law anymore. We've put our faith in Jesus. We're justified by faith and by work, not by works of the law. Not, not because any other reason, because the law is not enough. It's only through faith in him. This whole series is about right living and living right and, and not living in this spoken reality. But know this, you're not saved by the things that you do. You do the things that you do because you're saved. You don't earn this in any way. The only way we come to faith is through Christ. Paul puts it to the Ephesians like this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Salvation only comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Even if all the works you're doing are good, gospel-centered works, it still doesn't matter. Your works don't drive your salvation. Your salvation drives your works. And if, church, if you've come to Christ by any other means, by your own accomplishments or by doing all the right things or by connecting your real life and your spiritual life, and you haven't come to Christ by faith through grace in Christ, then you've not come to Christ. It's the only way. If you're trusting anything other than Jesus and you're trusting the wrong thing, you can't earn your way there. 
You can't come and teach and volunteer and even be a deacon or all those things. Those things don't matter when it all boils down to it. The only thing that matters is what you've done with Jesus. And so we, we kind of get wrapped up in this, well, I, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect my spoken reality to the things that I'm going to do, and I'm going to just do all the right things, and I hope that that's enough. I'll, I'll hope that God grades us on a curve, and that my good acts outweigh my bad acts, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't work like that. Peter's mistake here is not in belief. Peter believes all the right things. He knows he's taught all the right things. His mistake here is in practice. Peter knew. He knew the right thing, but when pressed, he cowered to the crowd. See, that's it. I think Peter was pressed by two different things. One, his old life habits. Kind of ingrained in every Jewish boy that, that the Jews' special relationship with God is enough. I mean, you read the Old Testament, God speaks and says that the, that the Jewish people are his segula, right? His treasured possession. And he's, he kind of leans back into that special privilege of God. But I think he was also pressed in his new life challenge. Remember I said he'd already had his experience with Cornelius. His faith had already been expanded to the Gentiles. He knew that they were grafted in. And as a matter of fact, and after that instance in Acts chapter 10 where he actually goes to Cornelius' house, he has to go back to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11 and explain why he went into a Gentile's home. And he, he gives them this wonderful picture. He tells about the vision and the sheet, and he talks about the men and how they came to, to get him and take him to Cornelius' house. And he says in Acts chapter 11, verse 17, for if God gave them the same gift, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, if God gave them the same gift who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? Oh, that's great. Man, it's an incredible statement. Who was I to stand in God's way? God gave them the Holy Spirit just like he gave it to us. Peter wasn't going to argue that people were or other people were not worthy of the gospel. He was just going to follow what God had for him. But here when he was pressed, when he, when he was pressed by that old life and new life confliction, it's like he didn't have the faith to live out what he knew. He ran back to what was comfortable and he imposed things on other people that he himself was already free of. He didn't have it in him to just boldly stand up and say, you know what, I don't care if you like it or not, but these men are believers just like us. I don't care if you like it or not, but I'm eating with them. I don't care if you like it or not. God's called me to this and my actions match my faith. And as I was praying through this week, I thought, man, what an incredible thought that our actions would match our faith. And I, 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 you guys know I write my sermons and I typed that out and I, stood and I, I just kind of looked at it for a minute. And that's when it hit me. They do. Our actions match our faith. And for a lot of us, we have little actions because we have little faith. We have boring action because we have boring faith. We have, we have comfortable and habitual and complacent action because we have comfortable and habitual and complacent faith. And we, like Peter, when pressed, we just kind of fall back into our old, 
comfortable lifestyle. Instead of leading others into deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what real life is and what real faith is and a life devoted to Christ is, we just kind of skim the surface and brush it off. We act one way in church and another way out. We act one way around believers and another way around our buddies. We act, we act one way around the preacher and another way outside. You know how many times I've heard that? Oh, can't say that. The preacher's here now. Like, Really? because we're living two different realities one real one and one spoken one let's wrap this thought up like Paul did with Peter remember everything that Peter is saying here is all in quotes this is all what he said uh, what all what Paul said to Peter and then we hit our theme verse chapter 2 verse 20 I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is Paul saying this to Peter, saying, quit faking it. Stop going through the motions. I've been crucified with Christ, meaning that his death was my death. Everything that Paul held on to, everything that was holding him back from living completely devoted to Christ, died with Jesus when Jesus died on the cross. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's not about my wants and my desires. It's not about my wishes and what I think should happen or should not happen. It's not about my will or my plan. It's about him. He lives in me. And even though I died on the cross, man, I still got this life. I still have flesh and bone, and I still got a little bit of spunk in these bones. And I'm going to live every day of this life fully committed, every aspect of my life fully committed. Every decision, every thought, every word is fully committed to Christ in me. I'm not going to act one way here and a different way over there because wherever I go, Christ is there. Christ, who loved me, as I was. I feel like, I feel like Paul would look at Peter and say, he loved you too. After all you did. After denying even knowing him. After he looked at you and said, get behind me, Satan. Right? After all the mistakes and the bumblings and all the things that you've done, your flaws and imperfections, he didn't make you jump through hoops. He didn't, he didn't hold you to some unattainable standard. He didn't look at you and say, well, you have to do this or you have to be this before you can do that. Jesus just looked at Peter and he says, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, be obedient to what I've called you to do. How then, Peter, how, after all of that, could you look at these men and women and say, well, you've got to be this before you can be that, or you've got to act like this before you can do this, or because you're not this, then you're somehow less than and the reality is, church, none of us deserve salvation. None of us have earned a right relationship with God. None of us has ever or could ever do enough or say enough to repay him on any level. That's why God's love for us is so incredible. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him this is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin that's love that's real love that he in his glory and in his perfection reached down into creation to choose to love us with all of our imperfections with all of our 
all of our mistakes and all of our baggage. At our worst, he loved us. Also, we may live through him. I love how Paul ends this kind of charge against Peter. That's how we'll end this morning. Verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. It's a powerful statement. I do not set aside the grace of God. Because if we could earn this any other way, then Christ died for nothing. When we walk out of these doors and we become somebody else, someone who's not reflected in our quote-unquote church life, then we're setting aside the grace of God. We're taking his grace and his salvation, his forgiveness and his plan and his purpose for our life and we're setting it aside like an old coat. We'll we'll come and we'll get that if we need it, but most of the time, we don't. We We can leave that there and come back to it some other time. And Paul's challenge to you is the same as his challenge to Peter. If that's the case, then Christ died for nothing. And church, you know that that's not the case. You know that his death changed everything. You know that his death meant everything and it provided all that we need. How then could we live any other way? How then could we live and act like we're setting it aside? Too often we We sit in this room and we sing songs and we give and we serve and we do whatever we're going to do in here. And when it's time to live it out there, we just set it aside. Church, we got to stop. It's a spoken reality. And the question is, which one's real? Would you stand with me as TJ comes and Ms. Ruth plays? We're going to have a hymn of invitation. And our cry this morning is very simple. Father, forgive us for acting like it meant nothing. Forgive us for believing that we can separate our real life from our church life. Forgive us for faking genuine relationship and forgive us for leading others to believe that it meant nothing either. It means everything. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, we love you and we thank you for the truth of your word how it confronts us on every level and how in every level it hurts. And we know, God, that there are moments of our life that we are not good examples. We know that there are moments of our life where we act one way here and another way somewhere, just like Peter. And Father, we thank you for your word being real and a bit in our face today, confronting all those excuses that we give because none of them measure up. When we imagine taking your grace and setting it aside, God, we can't do that. So Father, if there's somebody here this morning that maybe for the first time says, gosh, I need to to get back to what I know to be right. This message of the gospel changes everything and I've not ever really lived it. Maybe I've tried to earn it on my own, but I've never really surrendered to it. Father, today, let today be the day that they say, I want to get saved. I need to get this right. Father, for many of us in the room today, we, we're, 
we know the truth. Just like Peter, we, our, our issue is not faith, it's in practice. And so, God, I pray that you help us connect those two. That our practice is an extension of our faith. That how we live outside of the church is a reflection of how Christ lives in us. Father, if there's folks here who need to join the church or who need to talk about being baptized or what all that means, God, I'd love to do that. Father, this is our moment to respond to what you're doing in our heart. God, I pray that we wouldn't, that we wouldn't pause, that we wouldn't wait a moment longer. God, today we know that you have the power to save and that we are powerless and we need you. So, Father, move in this moment. Help us be obedient to what you're calling us to. If you need to come and pray, you can come and pray. If you have questions for me, you come and ask questions. You guys come as as TJ sings.